When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. So, Ian, we are uh, officially at that point where we get to say something that we say every year, and we say it often. I say it all the time, and then, you know, I just keep saying it. We're going to talk about real football. We're going to talk about actual gameplay football with the Denver Broncos. And if you're not excited about that, then I, I can't help. And it's going to start before... Saturday's preseason game against the Vikings when they hold joint practices starting today when you're listening to this in Minnesota. And I think that will be the best way to find out what's going on with this team. Because unless one of the two quarterbacks completely craps down their leg, we're going to find out the most from these joint practices because it's the first time that either is going to be going against a real opponent that's not wearing the same helmet. So if you're paying attention this week, obviously the game is going to get the focus, but the practices is where I think we're going to get the most, especially out of this quarterback competition. Yeah. The quarterback competition is interesting and I I don't think it's worth it to try and skirt around it. I know that it's, it's sort of that thing in Broncos country where you have to talk about it. And then you hear people complain that that's all we talk about, but it's really all there is to talk about. It's a, it's kind of a, catch 22 situation where you're damned if you do damned if you don't. And, and so we're going to talk about it here. And, and the big news is that uh, Drew Locke was named the starter for the Minnesota game. And so if you don't know that by now, there, now, you know, uh, and also pay attention because this happened before we started recording and this is posted the day after. So, you know, get with the times Twitter's there, but also uh, Teddy Bridgewater was named the starter for the second preseason game against Seattle. Now I don't want to get into too much with that other than, uh, it does look like Vic Fangio and the coaching staff are giving both quarterbacks a chance to get a start, play with the ones, kind of see what they can do, and really get a look at how they perform when it's live action, when it's real, when there are reps, when there are whistles, when there's time, when there's, you know, the whole the whole thing, right? The whole nine yards, if you will, which is a one yard short of a first down. So I need somebody to explain that saying to me. But as you said, practices are really where we're going to see how they react, how they adjust. Are they getting better? Because you're going to be going up against guys that you don't know their tendencies, right? Eventually you assume that both quarterbacks are going to start to figure out, well, here, this is what I know Bryce Callahan's going to do or Patrick Sertan or what I know Justin Simmons is going to do because you play against them every day. Now you get these practices where you're going to see a different look from a different defense Maybe that's the, you know, maybe that's the thing that's going to help separate these two quarterbacks. I will also note, and I'd like your take on this, 
it doesn't feel to me as if either one of these quarterbacks has really separated themselves in a meaningful way. And I'm not saying that they've done poorly. That's not my, my position here. It's more so I haven't seen either one of these guys, whether it be Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke, really put themselves so far in front in this competition, which everybody knows how I feel about this, you know, scoring of the competition. But in this, there's, it's not like one guy is, is 10 days ahead of the other guy. It's, it just doesn't feel like that. And in terms of the practices, I'll answer that question. But before that, it's not just any defense. They're going against a Mike Zimmer coach defense. And Mike Zimmer is up there with Vic Fangio in terms of defensive masterminds right now in the National Football League. And as I said in my story at playcolorado.com, previewing the Broncos and the Vikings' first preseason game, I said that. And we'll get into what I touched on in the story, which is I think one of the biggest things to look at, aside from the quarterback competition, is how effective is this running game. But in terms of your question, I, I'm not it's, sure. It's, it's tricky. It's a tricky question, right? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. So, and that's, you know what, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I don't know because who really can tell what's going on with these two quarterbacks. There's this idea of, you know, Teddy won today or Drew won today. And you've got, you know, like Andrew Mason is sort of keeping a running scorecard where if you follow his Twitter feed, uh, it's it's actually kind of interesting to see because he scores it in different ways. He's got golf scoring and Stableford and all this other stuff, which is fine. And, and every media guy that's at training camp is sort of coming up with their own scoring system. Uh, you know, I, I think Troy Rank says, well, hello. And then he mentions whoever uh, did what in that day. And that's kind of how he, how he scores it. Whoever gets the most well hellos is in the lead. But it's frustrating. I will say as a fan, it's sort of frustrating because you want one of these guys to really take the lead, right? Really take the reins and run with it. And it doesn't feel like that's happening. And the reason I say I'm not sure is because I haven't seen it with my own eyes. And I am to the point now where I'm old and jaded enough where I don't trust other people. Because I don't know what their bias is. I don't know which way are they leaning. Are they favoring Drew Locke? Do they like Drew Locke? Is he easy to root for? As one reporter has told us earlier this summer, I don't know. I, I really don't have a rooting interest in either of these quarterbacks. And I just want them to make a decision. Because I think the longer this drags out, as I said in my story at playcolorado.com, it's going to keep that person from getting reps with the starting offense. And for an offense that's been garbage for five seasons, that's not exactly ideal. So I want them to make a decision instead of dragging this out. And the fact that there hasn't been separation, I think that's one thing that I, I think everyone can say is there hasn't been separation by either of these guys. It seems like when one has a strong practice, the next day they regress and the next one steps up that's horrible for a quarterback competition, but it always seems to happen with a quarterback competition because as the old saying goes, when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks and the Broncos still don't have a quarterback, even though they have two quarterbacks. So my hope is over the course of these joint practices with the Vikings, we start to see someone take advantage of their opportunities instead of having flashes I think the more consistent quarterback, based on the things that I'm seeing from other people, 
is Teddy Bridgewater. I think he has been the more consistent. I don't think that's breaking news. I just, it's time to make a decision. It's been two weeks. You've had OTAs and minicamp. You have to have some sort of an idea what you're going to do. Because, like I said, this is not ideal to drag this out when you only have three preseason games. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of, you know, go ahead and point, point yourself in a direction and then just go, right? Like pick a guy, say this is the guy, and, and we're going to do what we can to make it work. Understanding that, you know, things are fluid and anything can change. But if, if you're really going through this process and you're going to say, okay, well, we're just going to keep playing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you're kind of you're you're ruining both guys' chances at becoming good enough to actually start because they're both stuck with the ones and then with the twos and then with the ones and then with the twos and there's no consistency. And you brought up consistency, and I think it's important to note that I, I agree with you. Teddy Bridgewater is seemingly the more consistent of the two, which is fine. But neither one of these guys are getting what I would call consistent reps with the with the ones because they're both back and forth. It would be in my opinion, and I know someone's going to say, well, you're not a football coach and you're not as smart as George Payton or Vic Fangio or whatever. Fine. That's probably true. But in my opinion, and in things that I have done in my life, it's easier for me to pick a direction and go and then make adjustments as we go versus wishy-washy back and forth. And I I always take it back to sort of what I do uh, as a teacher, right? If I'm teaching a a lesson, I understand that there is a thing that I need to get across and I'm going to, choose a path and I'm just going to go. That doesn't mean that I can't deviate from that path when necessary. Or if I see that something isn't working great, but you've got to pick a direction. And at this point, it feels like the Broncos are going in two different directions. You have either steady Teddy, which is, is something that I'm surprised we don't hear more of steady Teddy, who is more consistent, but less flashy and is, is going to be the guy that sort of guides the offense in a more, um, I don't know, safe way. And then you have the, the flashy, big play, splashy Drew Locke, who uh, is going to make mistakes, but is also going to hit guys, you know, 40, 50 yards downfield and going to be exciting to watch. Pick a guy. I don't care. Pick a guy. And they picked Drew to start against the Vikings. But then, as we've already said, they then went and said, but Teddy's going to start against the Seahawks. Just pick a guy. At this point, just pick a guy. That's really kind of what I want. Mostly just so I can just kind of move past it. Well, and I think based on the injury history for both of these guys, we're going to see both of them regardless. And I've made I, – I, I said on my uh, Broncos Blast segment on Clark and Company on Saturdays, Thomas Harding, the phenomenal MLB writer who covers the Rockies for MLB.com, he brought up a great point where I touched on – I didn't really understand why Brett Rippon was getting like 25% of the snaps – but he brought up a great point. The injury history of both of these guys, we're probably going to see Brett Rippon at some point this season. So that kind of makes sense. But I'm with you. Just make a decision. I, I get it. You want to make sure you know. But I think most people, and maybe it's just me, I think they know what decision they're going to make. They just want to have that feeling that, oh, it's the right decision. And I get that. I get that you want to you want to take the time to make sure that you make the right decision. But I think they pretty much know what they're going to do. 
I don't know if it's because they want to keep the Giants on their toes and not really know well who's going like, to play quarterback. I feel like the Giants are on their toes no matter what. They seem like if you've seen any reports out of Giants camp recently, they seem very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dis- is disorganized a, a nice enough word there? There's you know fights and Joe Judge has them doing like wind sprints and push ups and burpees and he's dropping all kinds of f-bombs on everybody because of how awful they are it's like i'm not even worried about that first game i just i just want to pick a quarterback but i digress because i think obviously that's something that is the impatience of a fan as well like we just we want to know right that's the idea and that's why we all dive into all the speculation on twitter and we listen to all the all the guys all the talking heads and well this guy said this and this guy said that and you know who knows what's going to happen but we want to know. And that's the whole point that sort of goes with it is we all just want to know what's going to happen. So I guess we'll find out. And Drew gets to start uh, against the Vikings. Good for him. And I, I like your point, though, of let's watch the practices and see how those go, because that's going to be a big indicator of how well both of these quarterbacks are picking up the offense and really how well the defense is, uh, you know, sort of adjusting to their new world, which is not that new, just a couple new players and how well the offensive line is playing and, and the running game and what they're going to be able to accomplish. And I think that's sort of the other thing that we're excited about, right? And I know you are, and it's the run game. The running game is something where it looks like the Broncos want to be kind of that old school smash mouth, run the ball, control the clock type of offense anyway. So that's kind of a, a, something that will be shown to us as well through these practices and what happens against the Vikings on Saturday. And I I've mentioned, I, I mean, uh, maybe it's still the journalist in me where I just question everything, but I'm still curious how you can get any idea of how good the running game is in practice. I think they've, I think they've had like three padded practices and it's not exactly like it's full force game action going against another opponent. So I'm, I'm skeptical. I mean, I hope it's the case because if the Broncos running game is as good as people are making it sound, then that's going to be what drives this offense. And I think that would uh, make Javante Williams, especially if he starts to get reps and he takes them away from Elvin Gordon, he could be an interesting bet to place on offensive rookie of the year because we've seen running backs win offensive rookie of the year. So that would, and especially the market that he's at right now, he's at plus 1800 at DraftKings that's a phenomenal market right now. If you think that the running game is as good as it can be and Williams lives up to the hype, that's a, that's an interesting bet that you could place. Excuse me while I pull my app up on my phone and place a quick little wager here. <laughs> I did not know that. I know, I know I saw in your article that you had talked about that, but it was one of those things that didn't quite register. Plus 1,800 is, is nice. And I'm not on DraftKings. I'm on FanDuel. Uh, and this is not a promotion for either one of them. I don't care what you choose to do as far as your gambling habits, or if you choose not to gamble, not important, but I will have to look at that and maybe place a couple of wagers. I did see I could cash out my Broncos Super Bowl bet uh, of $30 for $11. So it would only, it would only cost me $19 uh, to have made that bet. And I am seriously considering it at this point because uh, I don't think it's going to get any better. The one thing that I will say after being in this industry for well over a year the best advice that I can give people is to shop around the markets, have multiple books on your phone or your device or your computer that you use and find the best market. 
see which book has the best odds for whatever it is that you want to place a wager on and go with it. If you trust your gut, listen to your gut and go forward with it, but, but shop around. I think that's the best advice that I can give people is don't just have one book. Obviously everyone will have their favorite, but have multiple ones so that you can see where is the best market. And be smart. Don't overextend yourself. We, you know, we exactly. want, to, want to make sure we talk about that as well. And, you know, be responsible in, in what you choose to do. And remember that uh, it's for fun and it's an entertainment thing, but don't, don't make it something where uh, you can't control it anymore. So that is, that is something that's really important to mention as well. Also something important to mention, and I, and we, I want to sort of stick with the preseason game. I am excited to see what the Broncos defense looks like. You know, you talk about the run game. I think that sort of plays into how the offensive line looks, although I'm not sure how much we're going to get of the actual starters uh, on both sides of the football, but I am excited to see Patrick Sertan and what he's going to be able to do. He's the, the Broncos number one pick. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion about him, I think, because he's always going to have that thing over his head of the Denver Broncos passed on Justin Fields and took a cornerback. There's going to be that, that sort of follows him around. And if Fields is good, it's going to be heavy. That's going to be a heavy crown. Whereas if he's not good, it won't be so heavy. It won't be that big a deal, but it is going to be interesting to see with all of the sort of glowing reports, not just from the media, but from players as well about how he has been NFL ready from day one. I can't wait to see what he looks like against another team when they do go full speed, when, when he is playing against wide receivers that he doesn't just no, right. Uh, that is going to, you know, Justin Jefferson is going to be somebody who maybe he lines up across from. Can he uh, shut him down? What's going to happen with that? And then also, you know, the defensive line and, and what they're going to do with that fourth edge rusher. There are some things there that, that you can start to look for on the defense as well that go beyond just, well, who's going to be the starting quarterback. PS2 is a guy who I think has a lot of potential to not just be a great cornerback, but I, I think it was Joel Rolls who said this, where you want to hedge with quarterback hype because you need to see it for multiple seasons, but with a cornerback, heck no, you can, I mean, get the, get the bronze ready. I mean, if you can play cornerback in the NFL quickly, you're going to be a great player. And I, I think the fact that it, like you said, not just media, but his fellow teammates and fellow cornerbacks, the way Bryce Callahan and Ronald Darby are, have talked about Pat Sertan is pretty incredible. Um, so, and again, to reference that story at playcolorado.com, I think the other guy who has the potential to, to win an individual award on this team is Pat Sertan for defensive rookie of the year. And he actually has lower odds than Javante Williams. At DraftKings, Sertan right now is plus 1,400, which is still a, a decent market. I think it's still one where you can win a fair amount of, a, a fair amount of a good money to play if you place a, like, a, like a $20 or whatever bet, whatever it is. You're going to make a, good, a, a fair amount and have the potential just because of how good he can be in this defense and the way that Vic Fangio is going to use him. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it is something to look forward to. And I think his season is going to be one that's going to be fun to watch uh, because there's, there's opportunities there for success for him. Uh, it looks like 
the defense is going to continue to be the Denver Broncos defense. And if anybody's sleeping on the Denver Broncos defense and they have not been paying attention, even in this bad stretch of games or of seasons where they, they don't have winning seasons, the defense has still been good pretty much every year. Yes, there have been some bad games, and you can always point to that with pretty much every team. But this team is going to be good on defense, which is why you kind of end up going back to that idea of, well, if they can control the clock and run the football and kind of get a little old school, they can win some games. And I, I'm not really going to get into being a, a predictive guy here. I'm not going to predict anything. This predictive guy, does that work? Is that a – somebody else can look that up. I feel like that sounded fine. But, uh, yeah, sure, why not? I'm not going to make any predictions. Maybe that's what I should have said. But I do feel kind of good if that's the direction that they go, no matter who the quarterback is. Because either way, if you're controlling the football and you're controlling the clock and you are able to hold teams to you know, 22 points and you can put up 23, you can win those games. And so hopefully that's, that's what can happen. And you just hope for, like we've talked about in the past, a little bit of improvement on turnovers. Maybe they score a touchdown on defense this year. Who knows? Uh, but that's, that's something that we will definitely look forward to. Uh, anything other, else? We, yeah, I was going to say, anything else we need to pay attention to here? The other player that I'm looking forward to, and I, I hope he gets some action on the field, is Von Miller. Because it's been well over a year since he's been on the field for a game. After that freak injury that he had right before the opening of last season against the Titans, I hope Fangio puts Von Miller on the field for at least a couple of plays just to get him back into the field for the game, what it's like going against another opponent. And obviously he's going to have reps against the Vikings offensive line over the course of these joint practices. But I hope he gets on the field for a game to get that feeling back, to get back into the grind, to kind of like riding a bike where you get that, that feeling back and you can get that, get your mind clear that yes, everything is okay. I can be on the field after that injury. And then of course the same goes with Cortland Sutton. And in terms of fantasy drafts, I'm sure a lot of people listening are getting ready for their draft. Keep a, keep a flyer on Cortland Sutton because he is slowly but surely rounding back into form. And while he may not be a wide receiver one, you could potentially do that. Definitely a wide receiver too. I think he is going to be a guy who has a very, very strong season, regardless of who his quarterback is. Yeah, he's he's proven over the course of his career. When he's in, he's he's effective and he's good to have uh, out there. And if you have him in fantasy, he's going to score your points. I agree. In fact, he's one of my targets. Uh, not necessarily early, but I'm looking at him as somebody who's maybe a you know a fourth to sixth round guy um, in in fantasy football. Just because because of the concerns about quarterback, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. We don't know you know what's going to happen with the offense. How much are they going to run? But he is somebody who, if you're playing him at, at wide receiver two or in the flex, he's definitely going to be somebody who's who's going to score you somewhere between eight and twelve points on average. I think uh, every week, and that's not a bad number to have from a guy who you can get probably starting in the fourth round with you know with what's going on and depending on you know depending on your your league scoring and those kinds of things believe me i know i'm I'm jumping into all the mock drafts now as well and we'll probably go a little bit more in depth as we get closer to the season uh, with the fantasy football stuff moving forward all right ian let, let's shift gears can we shift a little bit can we sort of do a little be a little retrospective oh i like that. are we going up or down in gears i think let's go down up i don't know is it good what, what's the or difference? downshifting 
so we're going to, well, when you downshift, so like if I'm coming into a corner, right, I'm going to downshift to slow me down. But then as I'm coming out, I'm going to clip that apex, right? right. As, as I clip the apex, I've, I've downshifted, I'm going to hit the gas and then I'm going to run through the gear. So it kind of depends on what, what race we're in right now. If I'm being honest, somebody's going to yell at me and be like, that's terrible. That's not how you do that. I don't know. That's as little as I know about driving. Um, I, we're just going to shift into talking about some Broncos history. Does that work? Let's do it. All right, let's do that. Uh, we just watched the Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremonies of, of some great Denver Broncos. We uh, saw Steve Atwater finally get his due. Uh, that to me, and I, I know a lot of people in Broncos country were uh, very hyped up about Peyton Manning. To me, the Steve Atwater one was, was maybe a little more meaningful. Uh, obviously, him having been on the show a few times helps with that, but also that's a guy that you and I grew up watching and idolizing and, and being excited to see him on a you know weekly basis. Uh, so that was a big deal for me, but also uh, you saw Peyton Manning go in, John Lynch went in. Uh, it was, it was another big hall of fame weekend for the Denver Broncos. The last time there was a hall of fame weekend, it was champ Bailey and Mr. B uh, this time it was the, the centennial class with Steve Atwater going in uh, being presented by Dennis Smith. And then it was uh, Peyton Manning and John Lynch. And, and so it was a it was a big weekend for Bronco fans all over. And I think it, it really is just the start of Broncos themed weekends in Canton, because I, I think we're starting to see. And I wrote about this at Mile High Report on Sunday when I focused on Randy Gratishar. It really feels like there has been a pivot over the last five years on what we have talked, what we've talked about, what others have focused on, which is the underrepresentation of the Broncos in the Hall of Fame. Why well, that's not the case anymore, but there is still one huge glaring blight on this museum, and it's the fact that there is no member of the Orange Crush. We don't need to touch on that. I do think that we are getting close to Randy Gratishar. The fact that Jeff Legwald wrote that story that we talked about last week, he is on the Hall of Fame selection committee. The fact that he wrote that, it's going to get out there. And the way that the Broncos have been pounding the table for him for the last three years, I think it's going to happen. Now, well, will I hold my breath? I probably shouldn't because I die. But I'm still, this seems to be the theme of the show, is skeptical. But I think it's going to happen. And I think it could happen when the selection committee meets in the next few weeks. So I, th I think we could get word that he gets inducted prior to the Super Bowl in February. But I think we're going to see Mike Shanahan. I think, I, ho I hope we start to get talk about Tom Nalen. We've touched on this, how the one thing that people said on the selection committee when they were talking about Terrell Davis is that was it really Terrell Davis or was it the system? You could plug any running back in behind that offensive line, and they would be able to rush for 1,500 yards. Well, who was the anchor of that offensive line from the start of Terrell Davis until he retired in the mid-2000s? Tom Nalen. So if you're going to say that and then put Terrell Davis in, but then that goes away, that doesn't make any sense. Tom Nalen is one of the greatest centers to ever play in the National Football League. He needs to get the credit that he deserves. Rod Smith, I've saw, I saw a lot of people reference if Drew Pearson is a Hall of Famer, 
Rod Smith is a Hall of Famer. I don't like that because I don't want to hold it against another guy. I used to do that with uh, Terrell Davis and Jerome Bettis. Just state the case for the player. Rod Smith is one of two people to have the statistics that he does. And I've mentioned this on other podcasts. I've written about it. The only safety that has comparable statistics to Rod Smith is Jerry Rice. And he's the greatest undrafted player in NFL history. Not just receiver, player. There's Jason Elam. And then I think Mike Shanahan. Because there is no doubt Mike, Shan- Mike Shanahan is a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny because what you're essentially talking about, and I tweeted about this uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. feels like it was yesterday. Uh, and it was about um, the Denver Broncos of the 97 and 98 seasons, those back-to-back Super Bowls. And it's funny to me that that seems to be a team in general that is not given the credit that it deserves. And I, I understand that, you know, and, and I'm not going to play that. And we, we talk about this all the time. I'm not going to play the flyover city Cowtown card here. Cause I don't think that that's true anymore of Denver. But what I do think is interesting is John Elway finally gets over the hump, right. And finally wins his super bowl. And it's this huge thing. And he's an, uh, you know, an automatic hall of fame guy. Everybody knew he was going into the hall of fame, but to look at that team and to sort of, not talk about them as one of the greatest teams in NFL history to, to forget about that team is frustrating to me. And there are several guys from that team that are in the hall of fame. Shannon Sharp is in the hall of fame. You've got John Elway, obviously Terrell Davis, obviously. So Gary Zimmerman, Gary Zimmerman, obviously there are guys in the hall of fame from that team, Steve Atwater, who just went in, but that's a team that deserves far more credit than it gets. And I bring up, you know, obviously Rod Smith because Rod Smith is, uh, like as you said, he's the greatest undrafted player in the history of the NFL. There's no question about that. The things that he did in his career were Jerry Rice-like. The start of his career with John Elway as his quarterback, and then he ended his career with nobody as his quarterback, essentially. And, and he still was performing, even though he didn't really have a good quarterback at the end of his career. I think Jake Plummer and Jake Cutler maybe was sort of at the end there, but it was. <sighs> Who cares? This is a guy who should be in. And to ignore Mike Shanahan is, is insane to me. Mike Shanahan's coaching career, aside from just what he did with the Denver Broncos as a head coach, is also one of being one of the greatest offensive coordinators in the history of the NFL. He's won several Super Bowls as a coordinator and as a head coach. And he definitely deserves the treatment that Jimmy Johnson received or the treatment that Bill Cowher received. Both of those guys are hall of fame guys. I have no problem with them being in the hall of fame, but the reason they're in the hall of fame and Mike Shanahan is not. And this is the frustrating part about the current state of the pro football hall of fame is because these they're on TV is because they have a role within the NFL organization of presenting the NFL. And Mike Shanahan is not that guy. He is, he's not. I don't want to watch Mike Shanahan talk about football on, on Sunday morning. I just don't think he'd be good at it. He's a coach. He's a great coach. He's somebody who put together possibly the greatest football team in the history of the NFL. But I have this theory, and I haven't run it by you yet, and I'm going to run it by you now. I have this theory about that team and why they don't get the respect that they deserve. And I know we rattled off a bunch of players that are in the Hall of Fame, but they don't get listed like they should as greatest teams uh, in the history of the NFL. 
And I believe that it's partly because the very next year in 1999, they had some trouble. Terrell Davis gets injured. I don't believe they made the playoffs, as I recall correctly. The greatest show on turf comes out of nowhere, and the Rams win the Super Bowl. And then you immediately, which was incredible and insane and weird and and sort of totally unexpected, then you tumble into the New England Patriots era, right? That's when you start to get the Patriots as – the franchise that's the perennial winner. And they had been for, I don't want to talk about how many years because it makes me feel old, but it's 20. <laughs> so some of the, the, the information like Calvin Johnson started his career, ended his career, and then was inducted in the hall of fame uh, after Tom Brady's seventh year in the league, that kind of stuff always makes me feel super old, but so does this. And because of how good the Patriots were and that era of football, I think it hurts a team like the Denver Broncos who went back to back in an, in a time when teams just didn't go back to back and it hurts their sort of how people look at them. When you look back on the history of the NFL, it's not fair, but I think that that's something that definitely happens. So I, I wonder if that's going to change or shift. I hope so because there are guys who are, are very deserving of recognition for what those teams were and what they were, were really, really good. I think if that is happening, it's lazy because you, you have to, if you cover the NFL and you have the monumental task of selecting hall of famers, it is, it is your job to know the history of the game. And most of the people covering the NFL today were covering the NFL when those teams were dominating the national football league. And it wasn't just two years. They should have won three straight Super Bowls. They would have been the only team in the history of the National Football League to win three straight Super Bowls. If they beat Jacksonville in that divisional round, there is no doubt in my mind they stormed through the Patriots and they beat the Packers again. There's no doubt in my mind. They win three straight Super Bowls. So if that is happening, it's lazy. Because... I mean, what is there, seven teams in the history of the National Football League to win back-to-back? So yeah, it's a, it's if, a short if, list. If, you, if you're on that list, you are already one of the best teams in the history of the National Football League. Elite. And we haven't even touched on Carl Mecklenburg, who is probably one of the most versatile defensive players to ever step on a field in the National Football League. He could legitimately play any position on the field. Maybe not cornerback, but he could have definitely been a strong safety. You could definitely load the box with Carl Mecklenburg. Agreed. He could play any linebacker position. He could play any defensive line position. And then the guy who Steve Atwater said, who's the one guy who should be in here Dennis Smith, which is what we've touched on for years. Steve actually said it on this show, but he did. That's right. So look it up. I, I think we're getting there. I, I still think that there is this disbelief that the Broncos were really that good. And I think that holds true with the Orange Crush because I I, I don't think people really in terms of outside of Broncos country, I don't think they fully grasp how good and dominant that defense was. It just so happens that 
the offense was so horrible in Super Bowl 12, it gets lost. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, 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 what did what did Craig Morton and the offense turn the ball over like eight times? I think it was, I think it was six or seven. It might, might only been six, but it was how how they and they kept still the held the Cowboys so to twenty seven points. Yeah, that's it, insane. It, it it's the it's a team that doesn't get its due, and I think part of the reason for that is because it was a team that had just sort of broken out. If you look at what the Denver Broncos were prior to seventy seven, they were they were nothing. They were a, a team that nobody really looked at or cared about because they were just not that good. What they became with that orange crush defense was dominant. Had they won that Super Bowl, we'd be talking, I think, differently about um, you know a lot of the players on that team, including Randy Gratishar and Louis Wright, uh, who should sure, be in the hall, who of should fame. also be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I saw a, a chart I retweeted it uh, that showed his stats and and compared it to cornerbacks in the Hall of Fame, and it was like, well, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Holy you cow! Think? <laughs> how are we missing on this what is going on but you know there are some shortcomings there's some failings with the pro football hall of fame and we've talked about that in the past but i do think you are correct things are changing the history of the game is going to start to catch up with what is actually going on and what i mean by that is players like randy gratishar are going to going to be brought into the Hall of Fame, because they are a huge part of the history of the game. The Denver Broncos as a franchise, who are incredibly important as franchises go to the NFL or have been at least for the last 30 years, are going to start to get their due. We're just now starting to see it, and it's really starting to come to fruition. But it has been a frustrating journey for those of us who have been Bronco fans our whole lives and have been around for 40 years and know the trials and tribulations and the, and the frustration with feeling like the rest of the league doesn't respect us because we're just the Denver Broncos. We aren't. Broncos country is, is important to the league, and I think that that's something that is slowly being rectified. It's slowly being fixed, as you have said many, many times, and some of us just want it to go faster. The other name that I, I think is still controversial, even within Broncos country, but does not get the credit he deserves at all, is Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves is a Hall of Fame coach. He took three teams to a he took a, a team to three Super Bowls in four years, and I totally understand that John Elway was his quarterback. But as I've said, as you said, if Andrew Mason has been pounding the table for Drew Brees for year or for Drew Brees, Dan <laughs> Reeves for years, Mark Levy had Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, and Andre Reed. John Elway. And Dan Reeves. That's it. That's your list. I mean, on defense, there was Simon Fletcher and Carl Mecklenburg and Dennis Smith, and then Steve Atwater comes in in 89. But that's on defense. Elway yeah. had Steve Watson and uh, Mark Sammy, Jackson. Sammy Winder. Andre. I, I mean, Ricky, Ricky Nateel. Vance Johnson, the three amigos. I mean, that's Bobby not, Humphrey. I mean, that's not exactly Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit short of that. So, so I I, I my hope is that Dan Reeves. Not only that, but he also to took that. the Falcons to the Super Bowl exactly. As well. So, I mean, he really is a coach that is a he was an NFL lifer. He did good things for the Denver Broncos. And I, like you said, I know people in Broncos country shy away from Dan Reeves a little bit, but 
he he deserves the credit uh, of being the head coach of those teams. He he did take those teams to the Super Bowl, and and so uh, I'm with you on that. Even um, if you feel like he may have held John Elway back, he still was the head coach for an organization that went to three Super Bowls in four years. It's hard a to team that, that had no business going to three Super Bowls. All right, one last piece of business. One last piece of business here. We need to talk about Marlon Briscoe a little bit. And if you don't know who Marlon Briscoe was, he played Denver. He played for the Denver Broncos uh, back in the 60s. He the magician. Was, he was the magician, absolutely. He was El Mago before El Mago was El Mago. If you don't know who El Mago is, that's Javier Baez of the Cubs, or now the Mets, I should say. But Marlon Briscoe was the first African-American quarterback in NFL history. And he played for the Denver Broncos. And the Denver Broncos have... Uh, decided to honor him. The Denver Broncos are planning to honor Marlon Briscoe, who in 1968 with the team became the first uh, black quarterback to start in the modern era uh, of uh, major professional football in the United States. Team will rename its season-long diversity coaching fellowship, the Marlon Briscoe Diversity Coaching Fellowship. Uh, so kind of, a, kind of a big deal for sure uh, as the first African-American quarterback in the history of the NFL. Um, certainly something that is probably long overdue. Uh, almost as much as it was long overdue for me to read that uh, information to you, but I did want to make sure I got it correct. And it's a, it's a good first step. If you haven't seen highlights of Marlon Briscoe's career, Andrew Mason at Mace Denver has uh, a video highlight reel of Marlon Briscoe when he played in Denver. Definitely check it out. I also wonder if he should be in the Broncos ring of fame. Yes. Uh, there's no question. The answer, answer to that question is yes. As a player, someone who, who breaks barriers like that, someone who, who does things. And I, I know we kind of always want to feel like, well, it shouldn't matter, right? That's something that I, I hear a lot. I, you know, as a teacher, um, I have students who will say, well, it shouldn't matter anymore. Like we should be past all that. And I, I don't disagree with that sentiment, but it does matter. And it is important to acknowledge that you do have to break the barrier before the barrier is gone. And that's what Marlon Briscoe did. He was the barrier guy. He broke, he broke through that uh, barrier of not, you know, of teams not wanting African-Americans to be the quarterback. Black quarterbacks were not allowed in the NFL, not necessarily because they were specifically not allowed, but because in that era, there was a belief that they couldn't handle that job, which is a ridiculous belief to have. And we all know that's ridiculous. And we see it today. in the fact that the, some of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL today are black quarterbacks. They are African-Americans who are performing at the highest level. So it's important to honor somebody like Marlon Briscoe, to look at someone like Marlon Briscoe as that uh, first, because when you're first, it means that you did something before anybody else, but also that you had to go through the adversity of people believing that you couldn't do what you were doing. And not because of your skill, but because of the color of your skin. And that's, that's the thing that had to be overcome. And he was able to do that. And it paved the way and opened the door for, for guys like Doug Williams, for example, who's the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And so, you know, it's important that you acknowledge that. You know, Warren Moon is another guy. Randall Cunningham. These quarterbacks from the 70s and 80s benefited from Marlon Briscoe being the first black quarterback in NFL history. And at least for now, we get to watch the Broncos on the field for an actual game on Saturday. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. 
And as always, go Broncos.